Good morning, Pathway Church. It's good to see you today. Uh, what a neat time to think about the kids going back to school and all those. I know as a parent, I used to rejoice on that day. It was always, always a wonderful time. When I was a teenager about 100 years ago, um, I would love youth camps and youth conventions, state youth conventions. You go there and, you know, I was in a high school where I often felt like I was the only Christ follower in the place. And, and so it was always amazing to see all these kids worshiping Christ and being excited about Christ. And, you know, I'd get all excited and I'd be so passionate. I'd say, God, when I go home, I'm going to be so different. I'm going to change. I'm going to be a, a warrior for you. I'm going to be passionate for you. And then you had to go home and back to that school. And my deep desire to belong and fit in made me forget about some of those passionate promises that I'd made. Oh, it wasn't that I was a bad kid. It's just that, you know, I was kind of stuck spiritually. I was a little frightened to be very bold. And, and you know, it was just kind of a difficult time in my life. I'd like to tell you it stopped at that point, but it didn't. When I became a pastor, my first years as pastor, oh, my goodness, uh, we had Sunday night services in, so you had a Sunday morning service, a Sunday night service, and I taught a Wednesday night Bible study and a Sunday school class. And I, I remember thinking, I've told them everything I know. And I'd only been there four weeks, so that was, <laughs> that was not a good thing. And, and in those early years, I'd often go through a really dry time in my life where it felt like my prayers didn't go any higher than my head. And I wondered, did God really listen? Is he really caring? Uh, Carlo Coretto, one of the early church writers, used to call it the dark night of the soul. And I had a lot of those dark nights. And I was often spiritually weary and tired. And I wasn't sure what to tell the people when I was tired and weary spiritually. And uh, I got out of those dark valleys often by going on missions trips mainly to Honduras. I've been to Honduras over 25 times. And uh, I, I've been to several other places, but that, that was one. And, and I would get real excited again, just like youth camps back when I was a teenager. And guess what? Then you had to go home again, you know. And the big question is, what happens when we go home? What happens when we have to go home and, and do the next right thing? For the past six weeks, we've been talking about Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5, where he's telling us how to become this spiritually mature person who lives a purposeful life and carries out his task for us in this world. Week one, we discovered that we're not God, uh, that we cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves. Week two, we discovered not only does God exist, but God loves us, and God has the power to transform our lives. Week three, we made the commitment. I choose to commit over and over again all of my life, all of my will, everything to God's care because he cares for me. Week four, we did an honest inventory of ourselves and our place with God, and we looked at our past hurts and our present hurts and people we've hurt, and we shared that with an accountability uh, partner uh, and kind of wrote them down and thought it through. Week five was a transformation week. 
where we decide to make some changes. And it starts with prayer. And remember, we said those changes need to be big changes because it's a big God who has big plans for our lives. But it's also a process. You didn't get to where you are overnight, and you're not going to change into that total person God wants you to be overnight. It's a process as God works on us. We are becoming like him. Week six was that amazing time where we discovered the power of receiving God's forgiveness, offering God's forgiveness to others, and finding his peace in our lives. So there's only two healing choices left, and that's this week and next week. And this week we're doing the growth choice. And our text, someone said, I saw a cartoon this morning, the pastor said text, and I I can't find it on my phone. What text was it? You know, our scripture this morning is Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. And then he says, if we lose our saltiness, we lose our effectiveness. Then in Matthew 5, 14, it says, you're the light of the world. And then it says, don't hide your light. We're called to be salt and light. God has promised that if we will allow him, he will transform our lives and use us to transform our world. So what's the greatest fear we have about God transforming our life? I think it's, what if we fail? What if it doesn't work? What if I'm the one life God can't really transform? God can't really change. John Baker in his book on healing choices talks about this fear of failing, and he labels it relapsing. You know what the term relapse means? Like if you're sick and you relapse, you're sick again, right? You're, you're back where you were. Uh, some of us have been on diets and have relapsed. You know, you'd lose weight and then you find it again, sometimes even more, you know. Uh, so there's this whole idea that, God, I, I can't do this by myself. And he smiles and says, yes, you're right, you can't. Some of us may have relapsed more than once. In fact, Baker says, God will allow us to relapse over and over and over again till we finally get that aha moment. I'm not God. I can't do this by myself. So quit trying to fix yourself and allow God to change you. Just as those times of returning from a youth convention or a missions trip uh, were not that helpful. I mean, they get you excited, but the process has to change in our own lives. We have to change the patterns of our lives to become the people God wants us to be. So here's the pattern of relapse and how it works. First, there's complacency. Uh, I said a few weeks ago, we change when? When life gets too painful and we, we have to do something different. You know, your wife walks out the door, the doctor says, if you don't change, you're going to die. You know, and so that's a kind of a motivation for us to change. But what happens as things start to get a little better, we become satisfied with, with where we are and we make the decision, okay, I've changed enough. This is good enough. You know, I don't have to keep growing. I don't have to keep doing things. And so we become content with life being just a little bit better. We quit praying about everything. You know, uh, we're, we're better than we were a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm grown a little bit. I'm, I'm okay. We quit praying about everything. We quit talking to our spiritual friend or accountability partner. We stop reading God's word. And then it comes to the confusion phase. 
Maybe things weren't as bad as I thought they were. You know, uh, maybe I'm not an alcoholic. I could probably have just, just one drink. You know, I, I think I can handle this. And then there's a compromise. We go back to those old places and those old habits and uh, we place ourselves in, in a dangerous spot, which leads inevitably to catastrophe. We give in to those old hurts. We pick up those old resentments and bitterness return. And we start those old patterns of behavior that we said, and we told God, we're going to change by your power. So what happened? We tried to be God again. We tried to fix it ourselves. And we ignored the healing choices that Jesus has given us. We try to recover on our own without the support of other people. And all these things have one root of sin. That's the root of pride. I can do this. I've got this. I can handle this. So how do I avoid returning, not returning to the person that uh, I didn't like, I didn't want to be? Remember, change is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. The Bible teaches us that not only do we make a decision for Christ, we continue to make decisions for Christ. Let me share just a few scriptures to help you with that. 2 Peter 3.18 in any New English version says, Continue to grow, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 1 John 2.28 says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ. So that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And then Paul tells us in Philippians, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I already have reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Our healing choice today is to continue to grow, continue to become that person God wants us to be, to continue to be light in a dark world, to continue to be salt in a bland world. When I first uh, started ministry, I started as a youth pastor at 19, but I went to seminary in Oklahoma. And so I was working as a youth pastor in Pocket City, Oklahoma, Really exciting place. And uh, I, I, one of my tasks besides being a youth pastor is I would do some visitation. And I went to see Oma Puckett. Oma was this sweet old lady who would send us a, a little handwritten note once a month with her tithe and $5 for the building fund. Oma lived literally by the railroad tracks, maybe 20 feet away. I was there one day when a train came by. Stuff fell off the shelves in the kitchen. I mean, the whole house shook. Oma had cancer, and she never complained. And sometimes she'd say, Pastor, my, my, during the night, my rib hurt so bad because she had cancer in her bones. So I got up and I played hymns for three hours. And I wrote down some thoughts for you that, so that when you become a pastor, these might be some sermons you could preach. And she wrote me a note when I left that I still have and said, Pastor Steve, always remember, stay green and growing. Stay green and growing. What's the goal of your spiritual life? 
It's to glorify our Heavenly Father. So how do I do that? I do that by becoming a disciple. And I love John Ortberg's definition of disciple. A disciple is someone whose ultimate goal is to live your life like Jesus would if he were in your body. That's pretty good, isn't it? Your goal is to live your life like Jesus would if he were in your body. Now, obviously, none of us are there yet. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet. So we continue to allow God to transform our lives. Paul uses the analogy of running a race. And outside of Corinth, they would have uh, games and the athletes would train and they'd go on these really strict diets to run race. Paul writes, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And he goes, as a follower of Christ, you need to go into strict training. What does that mean? Well, here's what I thought it meant. For a long time, I thought it meant I'm going to try a lot harder. I'm going to try harder to be more loving. I'm going to try harder to be more joyful. joyful. I'm going to try harder to handle my anger. I'm going to try harder to pray. And guess what? That doesn't work any better than trying to run a marathon or lose 50 pounds. Being a disciple will not come from your strength, but his strength in you that gives you the power to do what you cannot do by yourself. The early disciples literally hung out with Jesus to see how he lived life so they could learn how to live life. A disciple is a disciplined person, and most of us don't like that word discipline. You know, that sounds restrictive and hard and difficult. But discipline is so important. Athletes have to be disciplined. Uh, students have to be disciplined. Salespeople have to be disciplined. Followers of Jesus need to be disciplined. I have a good friend in Lexington, Kentucky. His name is Don. And Don's about 78 now. Big time golfer. He practices every day to get his stroke just exactly the same every time. And so whenever we had a golf scramble, I wanted to be on Don's team because I knew he was going to hit it right down the middle of the fairway, maybe not as far as everybody else, but it would be right in the middle of the fairway. I might hit it further, but it would be in the cornfields or the forest, you know. Uh, he would hit it right down the middle. And he took great satisfaction. He didn't complain about practicing because he took great satisfaction in the results of what happened through his practice. How do I overcome my painful past? How do I become the follower of Christ that he wants me to be? I ask God for his wisdom, and I practice his truths in my life over and over and over again until they become second nature. Some folks want to know what's the minimum requirement to get to heaven. You know, I mean, a lot of Christians, pastor, give me the minimums. I used to have a guy in Clearwater, he would, for some reason, he handed me his tithe check every week uh, as he left church. It was $63.46. And after a while, I thought, why don't you love God enough to round it up to the next dollar anyway? It just made a lot more sense to me. What's the least I can do? And this is a point. How much of God's heart how much of your heart do you want God to control? You see, God will transform whatever you give him. He will give, 
he will transform as much as you give him, as much of your life as you offer to him. He will transform it. If you want to hold some back, you can do that, but you're not going to be all that you could be in Christ. So what are some of these spiritual disciplines that I need? Change isn't easy, and and spiritual discipline is about putting ourselves in a place where God can work on us and God can change us. The Christian life is lived one day at a time. Remember Jesus' admonition to his disciples in Mark's gospel? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Relapse happens when we fail to watch and pray. When we fail to develop those holy habits that God has for us. What are some of those holy habits? Well, we need to do personal evaluations regularly, if not daily, for sure every week. What do we evaluate? Do I love God more? Do I love people more? Am I taking care of the body that God has entrusted to me? How am I doing emotionally? Am I tense? Am I exhausted? Am I angry? Do I resent anyone? Am I at peace with others? Am I holding back any new hurts in my life? Maybe I gave my old hurts. Now I got some new ones. And am I holding those? These kind of evaluations need to happen every day. At the end of the day, write down the following. Things I did well today. Places I messed up today. And this is how I responded to those things. You keep a journal doing that, you begin to see there's patterns in your life. And as you grow, you'll see those patterns change. Then you have to take time to be still before the Lord. There needs to be a set time where you're quiet and available for God to speak to you. Turn the TV off and be still before the Lord. It's during this time that you pray and read the Bible and don't get hung up on how much you read. Just do it regularly. Be available to God. Memorize God's word because there'll be times that you will need that word to come back to you as you face tough situations. And then pray. Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Pray about the really big things in your life, but also pray about the little things in your life. Pray for your children, your grandchildren. Pray for who they're going to marry someday and their life spouse. Pray about your financial situations. Pray about your attitudes. Pray and ask God if there's any part of your life that you're holding back from the Holy Spirit. Now, you notice all these prayers are not your list of people you're praying for. It's about you. What needs to change in my life? Invite others to share the journey with you. Worship in community. Have an accountability partner or a spiritual friend who will ask you the tough questions. Nancy Ortberg shares that uh, she had a group of ladies that were her friends. And she said to them one day, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm too tough on my kids. I, I don't listen to them very well. I, I, and every, Nancy, you're wonderful. You're this great lady. You do all these incredible things. Except for one friend who said, you're, yeah, Nancy, you're right. You are too impatient with your children. Can we meet and pray about that and ask God to help you? And she said, I knew I had the right kind of friend when someone was willing to say, yes, let's pray about it. 
In a few minutes, you're going to leave this building and you'll go back to the real world. You have to go home. And the healing choices that you make will make your life more like Jesus or will make you less like Jesus. If you go home alone, you will soon relapse. I guarantee it. If you follow these disciplines regularly, at some point you're going to see God's transforming my life. I'm changing. I'm becoming a new person. Now, why is this even important? If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. Because there will be moment or moments in your spiritual life, in your spiritual faith, that your spiritual discipline will see you through even when your personal will is not strong enough. There will be moments in your spiritual life that your spiritual discipline will see you through even when your own personal will is not strong enough. There's a religious writer that writes for the Lexington Herald, and his name is Paul Prather, and he's always been one of my favorite writers. I I just love uh, his style. He's very honest, and I kind of sense that he's real. You know, what he says is is very authentic. He doesn't, you know, couch it always in real religious terms. he's, He's very honest. He pastors a little church outside of Mount Sterling, Kentucky on Route 60. In an article he wrote a few years ago, Uh, Paul talked about the power of tenacity in our spiritual walk. He stated, I think true success in any endeavor is far more about faithfulness, about endurance, than about inspiration. Nobody is inspired every single day. About 10 years ago, those words were very true for Paul. Uh, about 10 years ago, his wife lost a five-year battle with cancer. Paul states that during his 26-year marriage, he never strayed from Renee. For the first 21 years, he was not even tempted. But those last awful years of her disease, disability, stress, upheaval, It was a different story entirely. They were sheer torture. He writes sexually, emotionally, spiritually. Some days Paul just wanted to run away. In his words, every woman looked like a beauty queen and every road out of town glittered like the streets of heaven. But he strayed true. He said, for want of a better explanation, faithfulness had become a habit a holy habit for me. He had trained instead of just trying to do the right thing. So listen to his words. So I stayed home and stayed faithful, barely hanging on by my fingernails. I'm not a hero, certainly not a saint. I'm not even asking for praise or credit. Now that she's gone, though, My having remained faithful gives me the greatest satisfaction, perhaps the only satisfaction in this awful ordeal. Whatever my complicated reasons, I remain true unto death, did us part, 
just as I promised on our wedding day. And I'm so glad I did. Someday when I see her again, I'll be able to look her in the eye. Sometimes being faithful to God is easy. And sometimes it's the result of training for those days when we no longer have the strength or the power. And we need God's help. We always need God's help. Bill Hybels writes, you don't want to have unstained, uncalloused hands when you place your hand in the hand of the man with a hole in the middle of it. When you leave here today, you can walk out with the Prince of Peace in your heart and in your life. Some of you have already broken promises you made to him three weeks ago or two weeks ago. Don't let that stop you. Confess your sins, the ones that happened a long time ago and the ones that happened this morning. And take up the cross and keep on walking determinedly, tenaciously. Make God's healing choices a part of your life so that he can help you succeed in the rest of the journey, however long that journey lasts. In the book of James, we're told that our faith will be tested. And the testing will develop perseverance. And then he writes, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. That's my prayer for each of you today, that you may be complete in Christ, that he who is the healer of the brokenhearted will accept you and love you when you fail and confess and quickly continue that walk of faith in your life. Paul writes in Galatians, one of my favorite phrases, don't weary in well-doing. Pray with me. Father, it's a crazy time in our world. We have COVID and unemployment and unknowns in so many areas of our lives. And yet you're the same today and yesterday and tomorrow. And you still transform whatever we give you for your purpose and for your plan. And Lord, for those moments where our personal will is not strong enough, help us to train that we can stand strong in Christ in the middle of the storm. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite Christian songs these days is Even If by Mercy Me. And I knew there had to be a backstory to that song because it's, it's so real and, and so powerful. Bart Millard shares that story. It's the same story that Paul Prather shares, what it means to hang on, to endure. When his wife was dying of cancer. It's the same as my story in those dark nights of the soul when I wasn't sure what God was up to or how we were going to get through this how I was going to get through it. God was faithful. So we're going to listen to his testimony. It's going to be on the screen. And at the end of his testimony, he'll sing the song, Even If. 
And I know these are strange response times because of all the stuff that's going on, but maybe where you are, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you just want to open your hands and say, God, I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to be tenacious in my faith. I'm going to practice what I need to do so that when the tests come, I'll know you're with me. If you want to come and kneel, you can do that. Just make sure you keep social distancing. You can use the front rows if you want. But this morning, let the Holy Spirit say to you what he wants to say. Let's listen. It's it's interesting because when you stand up here, a lot of times people think you're supposed to have it all together. You have answers. We walk around hovering two inches off the ground. God is good, how you doing, all this kind of stuff. Man, that is not the case. There are some days where I don't want to stand up here and I don't want to tell you that it's going to be okay because I don't believe you. Pardon my French, but sometimes life just sucks. Oh, that's what's happening for that, right? <laughs> amen, amen. it doesn't exist is wasting everybody's time so this song was written like at the last minute and I was having a bad day because like I said I have five kids my oldest son Sam is 15 Sam was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when he was two years old and so if you know anything about chronic illnesses you know what I mean when I say it, it when I say it never goes away you have your good days and your bad days you spend time in denial but it's still there waiting on you this particular day, it didn't start off well. Probably some of my kids did. They wake me up early. It's not cool. I always blame my kids for my bad day. We had a checkup, like a six-month checkup. And I don't even know if the checkup is good or bad. It doesn't matter. It's just a reminder that, hey, this thing is real and your life revolves around it. And then, so I leave there. It's just like you're going to the principal's office. They could say, man, your kid is really healthy. Which, like, I could have done more is what you feel like. And just beat you up. Well, then we're leaving there. We run into this dear friend of ours, this godly woman that starts asking, hey, tell me about diabetes. I don't know much about it. So we go through all of our statistics that we've memorized over the years that Sam has had over 37,000 shots in his lifetime. Every time food goes in his mouth, a shot goes in his arm or leg. And, and so we're saying all this stuff. And she stops me in the middle of it. She goes, you know what? We're going to pray that God heals him. Now, hold on. Don't clap because it ticked me off. But my church, good little church face, smiled and said, God is good. All the time. What I want to do is grab her the shoulders and go, really? A healing for my son? Like that's never crossed my mind for 13 years? What a novel concept. Because I was having a bad day. I blame my kids. But sometimes it's the last thing you want to hear because deep down, a part of me wrestles the fact that I know God can heal him, but for whatever reason, he's not. But you know what? That's okay. So what we see in our house, Sam's just going to change the world as a diabetic. And it's okay. But 
man, there are times when it doesn't feel okay, and I just want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to have the courage to stand in front of the fiery furnace and say, I know that God can deliver us, but even if he does not, I'm still not going to surrender. I'm still not going to bow because he's worth it. Because deep down, even though there are times I'll forget who I am, luckily he never forgets me. And there are times when I want to give up. But the bottom line is the only way I can get up every morning and go through this is because of what Christ has already done. No circumstance will change who I am in Christ. It'll try. Sometimes it feels like it's going to win. Regardless of what we go through, he's bigger. We have to believe that with all of our hearts, or otherwise, what do we do? So I don't know what you're going through. I know that we all go through something. If you haven't yet, God bless you, it's coming. <laughs> it's interesting, most of the people that I see that are standing in front of the fire have an aunt that has cancer. She gets it more than I do. almost gone. She'll look at me and say, do you think this is going to win? No. I won a long time ago. I'm like, how does she get it standing there and I'm just having a bad day and I'm struggling? So, this song simply goes out to any of you fine people that have ever had a bad day. This is even it.
As you leave here and go back to the world, to your homes, take the powerful name of Jesus with you. Rely on his healing choices that will give you the strength to live the life he's called you to live. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.